At this time, we're going to read the scriptures for today. Uh, the Old Testament passage, which will be our primary text today, is found in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there is a Bible in the pew in front of you, and the page numbers are listed for you in the bulletin. Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Our gospel reading is found in Matthew chapter 14. And we'll be reading verses 22 through 33. This comes right after the time when Jesus feeds the 5,000 miraculously, and uh, he has sent his disciples on by boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. Listen here to God's word. Immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. Amen. And then our epistle reading is found in 2 Corinthians. We'll be reading beginning at verse 16 of chapter 4 and going to 5 verse 10. 2 Corinthians, beginning at verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 16. Listen here to God's word. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and be, to be home at the, with the Lord." Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Amen. This time I'd like to ask you to silently meditate upon God's word which we've read this morning. Holy Father, we come through your Holy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the Spirit of the living God to worship you today. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to be not only saved by your amazing grace, but kept by your infinite power and Lord um, sealed by the Holy Spirit that guides and directs us into the truth of your word we do pray today that the same Holy Spirit of God will illuminate our minds and hearts and souls to receive from you that which we can get from no one else. May you, Lord Jesus, be lifted up and glorified today as we look into your word. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. How do you handle major changes or transitions in your life? I hear that response. You know, there have been some major things that we have all been facing. And I would just like to give you a list of some of the things that I know about. Well, one we all know about is this COVID pandemic and the restrictions that have been put on our lives. How about now, as we approach the fall, all the schools starting up, allegedly, in a hybrid format, which is going to cause so many major transitions in the lives of families that have children. There have been job losses and added pressures that have come on people because of these transitions. There's also been family crises, even in this church family. There have been serious, even deadly illnesses. And all of us know, particularly lately, that there has been great civil unrest. Some would say that it is in the form of insurrection. Some would say that it's at the point of revolution. And on top of all of these major transitions and changes, even this week, we have all witnessed from afar, changes that have happened to people living near the coastlines of Louisiana and Texas. As a Category 4 hurricane named Laura made landfall with maximum sustained winds of 150 miles an hour. And life-threatening storm surges of 12 to 15 feet above normal. The death toll still rises as many of the survivors ravaged by the storm learn that they are homeless, that they are jobless, that they are helplessly overwhelmed by the mental anguish and physical fatigue they are experiencing as they inspect the devastation of this storm and the loss of life. Charles Spurgeon once said, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more. But the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. Maybe you have experienced and felt this way 
as we and I have been going through these major transitions. Well, how does God want us to respond to these major changes and transitions that come into our lives? Well, one thing is absolutely certain. These major transitions take us out of our comfort zones. And when they do, we can respond in one of two ways. With courage or cowardice. You see, cowardice is initiated by unbelief. In the uncertainty of not living in God's presence, nor by his promises. And it prevents us from receiving strength of purpose amid these dangers, these threats, these pains, these insurmountable odds that come on us in life. However, for the Christian, courage is instigated by a vibrant, living faith in God and his word. Knowing that one's strength of purpose comes by living humbly in God's presence and claiming his promises amid the dangers, the threats, the pains, the insurmountable odds that we face in life. One person said, courage is always made to rest upon the promises and the presence of Jehovah. That's the introduction. It brings us to our text this morning in Joshua chapter 1. Because at this particular point in time, for the people of God, a major transition is taking place. A a change of leadership from Moses to Joshua. But one of the things that we need to remember that though there is a change in leadership... There is also a continuation of God's covenantal plan for his people to deliver them fully. You see, God used Moses to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt back in the Exodus and to establish them as his covenant people at Mount Sinai with his law. And now, God wants Joshua, after Moses has taken them through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and has set them up just on the east side of the banks of the Jordan, he wants Joshua to lead them into the promised land with the hope and the rest of being God's people. Joshua in this way, is a type of Christ. 
Because as God's servant, he is going to be the one who provides a complete deliverance in God's plan for his people at that time. His name is the same as the Christ child's, at least in the LXX, the Septuagint. Joshua's name means Yahweh is salvation. Isn't that great? So that when we read that you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, it's recognizing that Jesus is God. Savior. And as the Lord was with Moses, so he will be with Joshua. You see, we read about this here in verse 1. He says, um, in verse 1, that was after the death of Moses, that the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. In other words, God's work is continuous. And though the leadership may change, God's work for his people continues on, unabated, working out just as he had planned it, even through another personality. The Lord speaks to Joshua at this time to appoint him as Moses' successor. And although Moses, the servant, the faithful servant of the Lord, has died, we read in this context and understand that the Lord is the everlasting God. You see, even though Moses was leading, the Lord was training up his replacement, Joshua. Through the divine provinces of God as they were leaving at the Exodus and wandering through the wilderness. Joshua was one of the 12 spies who gave a favorable report back there in Kadesh Barnea, right? In Exodus chapter 14, verses 4 through 6. He was the one who was called upon to command the military of Israel to defeat the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. He was the one who was the attendant of Moses as he went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. Joshua was also with Moses when the Lord spoke to Moses at the tent of meeting. Exodus 24, Exodus 32, and 33. And he was a standing military commander and personal assistant to Moses during all the wondrous wilderness 
wanderings that were going on with the people of God right up to the time of where we are right now in the text on the east side of the Jordan River. You see, as Moses was the servant of God, so Joshua was the servant God by serving Moses. And as God took this time of training and equipping Joshua, he did it even through Moses' life. Moses' life was the disciple, Joshua, as his successor to finish the work of delivering his people. We read about his renewed commission in verse 2. Moses, he says, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Such a calling and commission was indeed unique at that particular point in time in the lives of people that God had chosen to be his leading people. But one of the things that I wanted to remind us of is this. We are also called to do God's will, and we must not turn back to the past. We must move forward trusting the Lord is with us. This was one of the problems with people who wanted to follow Jesus during his earthly ministry. They would tell Jesus that they wanted to follow him. And he would say, well, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But they persist, and they go on, and they say, well, let me first say goodbye to my parents, or let me first bury my father. And Jesus says to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. We are to live by faith in the present with a view of a future hope with God and place our backs to what has already occurred in the past. Past successes, past failures is just what they are. They are past. Even Jesus' closest disciples had to learn this. During a major transition, which we read about there in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. You see, they had just experienced the wonderful miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and now Jesus sends them on alone without him as he goes up to the mountain and prays. 
And these disciples rowing their boat in a storm-tossed sea see Jesus walking on the waters in the blackness of night. And initially, fear grips them all, the Scripture says. It is a ghost. And immediately, Jesus says to them, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. At Jesus' word, it is Peter, the outspoken one, who says, Jesus, let me come out to you. And Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat, walking on the water. But something happens. His focus shifts away from Jesus to the turbulent seas that are just all around him. Wild seas, waves crashing against him. And it's at that point in time that fear grips him, and he begins to sink A lot of people today look at that story and say, boy, Peter doesn't have much faith, right? Let me ask you. If Jesus said, come under those conditions for you, would you go? At least Peter got out of the boat. Peter believed enough in Jesus and his word that he's willing to step out into that stormy sea and begin to walk to Jesus. But just like him, we're the same way. Even if we're willing to step out, we can see the wind and the waves and the seas crashing around us, and we begin to sink. What do we do? We do what he did. We cry out. Lord, save us. Save me. And Jesus stretches out his hand. He takes hold of Peter. And notice, he doesn't waste the moment, not even for a second. Because it's not in the boat where he says this. It's why they're still out in the sea, and he's holding them. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Was that the end of Peter's walk of faith? Not at all. And we should not see our failures as the end of our walk of faith either. The Apostle Paul put it this way as he's talking about his own life. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing forward. Not looking back. 
You see, as I said to you before, God's work was continuous. It was going on. And the conquest that Joshua was lead the people of God to was to take ownership of the land God had promised long ago to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It has not changed. In fact, he says here in verses 3 and 4 that every place on which the sole of your foot treads, have, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. And you can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verses 7 and 8, and you can see at the end of Moses' life that this very promise is being given to Joshua. You see, the promised land was indeed God's gift to his people. It was to complete their deliverance. And as Moses, so now with Joshua in this renewed commission, as God's servant, he is to be the one to lead God's people (coughs) to do God's purpose, to lead them forward into battle to take ownership of the land of Canaan, as God promised long ago. In fact, he says here in verse 5 very clearly, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. In other words, from this commission on to the end of your life, Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you. Now, one of the things that our minds are always directed to at this particular point in time is we think about the people that are over in the land where they are going to have the conquest, right? No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. But I'd like to say to you that the people of God then as well as the people of God now are not the most compliant people. In fact, they can be quite antagonistic to the leaders of God's people. In fact, they can be outright angry and disturbed about the way in which God is leading. Just think of the life of Moses. They were ready to get rid of him several times, right? And and return, go back to Egypt. Well, I believe this promise encompasses not only the enemies that they're going to face in the promised land, but the internal problems that are even among the people of God. No man will be able to stand before you. This is a great promise. All the days of your life, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And then he says this, I will not fail you or forsake you. You see, right in this context of verse 5, God is promising final victory over all of not only Israel's enemies, but the enemies that can crop up 
even as Joshua leads the nation of Israel into this deliverance. And it's because God pledges his presence, his power, his will to give them Canaan land as their inheritance. And there's a promise for us here too. Because wherever the Lord may send you, we need to know that we as the people of God obeying where God has sent us, has sent us, that his presence, his power, his will is pledged to us as well. <clears throat> Paul had to make this clear during a major transition point in the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 5, 10 that we read today. It was a major transition that addressed the mortality of believers. In other words, they're getting older. What happens? Well, the first thing that Paul says to them as they look at the prospect of leaving this world he says, do not lose heart. He says, though the outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. And though we may groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly bodies, Paul assures us that we will be clothed. For what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. And then he says this in the middle of the text. God, who prepared us for this very purpose and gave us the Spirit, there it is, as a pledge Therefore, he says to them and to us, be of good courage. Walk by faith, not by sight, until we are home with the Lord. And in verse 6, to Joshua he says, be strong, be courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And then in verse 7 and 8, the Lord puts the conditions on how this is supposed to be accomplished among the people of God and Joshua himself. Because he tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. And then he tells him, be careful to obey the law as written by Moses. Not turning to the right nor to the left, but to act wisely as you proceed to do my will. Let the law be the rule of your thoughts and actions so that you may prosper 
and be successful. And in this, God guarantees total victory. You see, one of the things we learn very clearly here is that though Joshua has been proven to be a faithful servant of Moses and of God, God still has to remind him that he must do everything in compliance with God's will according to his law. Why? So that as his people go across with the presence of the Lord, the Lord can be glorified through his people. One of the greatest inconsistencies in the Christian church today is this. We have compromised. We have compromised on the Word of God. We're allowing people to come into the church and say they're Christians and yet live contrary to the Word of God. How can ever a homosexual be ordained to the ministry of the gospel? How can ever a person who is not sure of their gender identity, whether they be male or female, say that there is another way in which they can live that is contrary to the Word of God. God said to Joshua and to the people of God there, you must live in compliance, in obedience to what my word says to you. And we must do likewise. Regardless of the way the culture and the world is going. To do otherwise is to be against God. He closes this section here in verse 9 because he has to remind Joshua that this is the command of the Lord. And he says it in using a question. He says, have I not commanded you? In other words, Joshua, this is not a time for you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and think that you can go on with this. Have I not commanded you? This is going to be done solely by the power and grace of God. And he says, therefore be strong and courageous. And then he says this, do not tremble or be dismayed. In other words, don't look to your own strength. Don't look to your own abilities. Don't look to your past successes. Don't even look back. 
to what you think you can do. Remember, the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. He needs to fix his gaze as we do. He needs to place his hope. He needs to abandon his own um, sense of worth and trust solely in the Lord his God. For the Lord his God will go with him wherever he goes. It should have reminded you of a New Testament passage. It did me as I was studying this. Because the Lord Jesus, as he sends out those early disciples, he promises that his personal presence will be with them wherever they go to proclaim him, to proclaim his kingdom. To let the world know the king has come. The king of all kings. The lord of all lords. He has come. And as Joshua was commanded to move out and to conquer in the name of the Lord, so we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel of freedom of people that are in bondage to sin, so that through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus, they might be completely delivered. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. What are some applications for today? First one is this, we have been called by the Lord to be his ambassadors today, to declare his rule, the rule of his kingdom to people we come in contact with that are living in another kingdom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 21, you can read this. We are ambassadors for Christ. And then Paul says, be reconciled to God. So it reminds me of Psalm 2. Where he's talking about the kings of the earth and all the rest of it. They, he The psalmist says, pay homage to the king, lest he come and judge you. Second thing we can take from this passage, particularly about keeping the law, meditating on the law of God day and night, we are ordered by our Lord to work hard, to live out his commands, his precepts amidst this hostile culture in which we live. 
That's what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this might not be good to you Mennonites here, but the third thing is very clear. We are to fight. Do you believe you're supposed to fight for your faith? You better believe it, because we are. We are to fight against ideologies and false narratives and values that are in conflict or in rebellion with what our Lord has commanded in his word and his reign upon our lives. Just read uh, 2 Corinthians. Turn with me real quick. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I mean, I'm sorry, chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. He says, Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose uh, to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Fourth, we are to believe that we are victorious conquerors through Christ our Lord. For he promises never to leave us nor forsake us. He will always be with his people forever. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 32 through 39, where he says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. 
We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May we, as the people of God, as we go through these major transitions, as we go through the changes that are happening in our world today, faithfully follow in the glorious train of our living and risen Redeemer. God always leads his people in triumph in Christ and manifests through them the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Be strong. Be courageous. Amen.